Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Mike, there's an old expression, may you live in interesting times. Have you heard of that one? Ooh, I have. Isn't it a Chinese curse? Uh, Well, that's what a lot of people think. But according to Quote Investigators Research, that's a site that authenticates or debunks famous quotes. Um, No authentic Chinese saying to this effect has ever been found in any kind of real literature Hmm. or research. And nobody has ever been able to confirm the Chinese origin claim. Curious. Okay. Mm -hmm. So where does it come from, Tothi? Because I think a lot of folks out there probably have heard of this one. And like me, they're curious, where uh, where did this come from? Well, Mike, let me tell you, the earliest finding, according to that QI website, appeared in a March 1936 newspaper report in the Yorkshire Post in England, and the expression was used in a speech by an influential British statement. Now, apparently, he'd spent several years of service in China, and he used this supposed quote to indicate that, you know, we move from one crisis to another. We suffer one disturbance and shock after another, as in, like, you know, the economy or tumultuous times politically and all that. But, but nobody's ever been able to verify that the quote was of Chinese origin. All right, Tothi, you know what this makes me think of? Hmm. It makes me think of these people out there that um, get tattoos of uh, Chinese characters because it somehow gives it more validity or weight or something that they're in. And maybe this dates all the way back to the 30s with the, the, the British uh, politicians wanting to um, claim that they you know, have greater insight because they're quoting something from China that they just <laughs> made up in the back room. Yeah, yeah what do it's you like think? more important or something, right? And so, yeah, you know, yeah. you really, where, where, and so they just sort of make things up. It's like, where were those pesky parliamentary fact checkers when you needed them back in the 30s, Mike? Um, it, it, exactly. Um, but, you know, that, that's, the way, uh, that's the way of the world. And, and I have to say it is a good quote. Yes, it is. All right, Tothi. Well, uh, this little history lesson, quite interesting. But I have to ask, what does it have to do with Facebook fiascos and other social media problems, our topic for today? Well, um, as I was preparing for the episode, I started thinking about how social media, while it's still important to practices digital marketing mix, um, but it's it's gone through a bit of a tumult over the last year or so, mm. wouldn't you say? I mean, the data privacy scandals, people's personal data getting scraped and, you know, into the wrong hands through consulting firms because of loose privacy policies and all these bad actors using social media, not, not for the greater good, but for their own gain and fake news. So, and then of course, last week, it really hit me because um, the big bomb came last week in the New York Times uh, when the Facebook co-founder, Chris Hughes, Um, you know, he wrote that opinion piece about how he believes it's time to break up the company, Facebook in particular, Mm -hmm. the co-founder, because it's just too big and Zuckerberg has too much power. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I read that. And, um, all I could think of was it's opportune to do that after the IPO of, uh, (laughs) of Facebook and crowd and you've cashed in, but, um, maybe that just makes me a cynical and ill-informed. I don't know, Tothi. Well, maybe, but you know, I was just thinking this, may you live in interesting times came to mind with regard to social media issues and healthcare, because I feel like things are, we've been sort of sailing along with social media for a number of years now, and it's permeated Mm. everything. But I think things are about to shift when it comes to how we use it and, and what it is. I, I, in, in a way, like any new technology, um, where we've been with social media is kind of a version one, I think of, and Uh we're moving to whatever's next, kind of that, you know, we always have change in tumultuous times. And um, practices need to think about that and be thinking kind of like Wayne Gretzky. I always, for all those hockey fans out there, I always love how he had that saying where he said, you know, he, he skates to where the puck is going, not to just the puck. So I think, I thought this would be a good entree today for you because I know the, what you're going to help us with and help listeners with is giving us some fiascos, telling us the state of the state, but um, helping practice think about, practices think about where they need to be headed. So they need to sort of think ahead and um, prepare for what's coming um, with social media and not just what's happening today. And you've got some good stories, right? 
I do. I think I have some juicy ones uh, to, to share. I think people will be interested. And um, you're absolutely thinking along the same lines I am about knowing where things are heading and, and what to watch out, uh, what to watch out for. Great. And I am ready to, to, to jump in with both feet, but I'm held back by the fact that there's something that we have to do, Tothi, that we haven't, haven't done. And I'm, I'm quite excited for this. <laughs> no, you know what it is. My favorite yep. part. What is it? Word, Word of the show. Oh, exactly well, yes well then all here right it is, here it is, all right lay it on me what's the okay. word of the show it's a word i adore for its whimsical sound and i chose it in honor of the british compatriot who unknowingly bestowed upon the masses decades of fake chinese curses <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an informal british word kerfuffle a common a commotion or fuss especially one caused by conflicting views like there was a kerfuffle over who won the debate. I love that word, kerfuffle. <laughs> <laughs> it is good. Okay, so like an inappropriate social media post of a patient's information who'd not given uh, his or her permission could cause quite a kerfuffle. Exactly. Yes, that's it. So I think it's very relevant. And I'm looking forward to more of these, Mike, these, uh, the kerfuffles you're going to bring up for us. So let's talk social media, shall we? Here we go, kerfuffle cavalry. <laughs> Okay, Mike, so let's set the stage by telling everyone that you are, in fact, a Green Branch publishing author of a book that is highly relevant to this topic. You recently released Tweets, Likes, and Liabilities, Online and Electronic Risk to the Healthcare Professional. It's available at greenbranch.com, and of course, we'll put that in the show notes. And your book covers everything from website risk to social media issues, and it's got a bunch of useful templates and policy samples in the appendix. So nice work on this. You and Susan Gay did a good job. Well, thanks very much. And, and yes, please mention Susan. Uh, Susan Gay, my co-author, who did a, did a fabulous uh, job. And we hope that the book is uh, not only entertaining, but has a lot of relevance and, and useful information in it. Well, even the, even the title is entertaining, which, of course, I, I expect nothing less from you. Always the dry <laughs> wit. Tweets, likes, and liabilities. I mean, come on. That, that's just brilliant. And I know you uh, came up with that, right? Well, uh, gu guilty as charged, but, <laughs> but, but thank you. Um, I'm, I'm glad that someone thinks I'm as uh, clever as I think I am. <laughs> well, you are. So, um, yeah. So, why don't you kick things off and tell us sort of the state of the state of social media and physicians. What, what are some of the headlines you're seeing? What should people be aware of? What's kind of the timely stuff you've got to tell us? Okay, so there's, there's a, lot, um, a lot going on and we can look to a couple different, different places. Uh, one area that I always like to look to are uh, aesthetic practices because they seem to be cutting edge in their use of, of social media because mm -hmm. that's where their patients come from. And so, they have some interesting things and sometimes the cutting edge becomes the bleeding edge and we have to be, be careful of, of that. The other area is um, outside of traditional um, uh, medicine and it's privacy concerns coming from, from Facebook itself. We've just had in the last, oh, less than 30 days, an announcement uh, from Facebook about some of these support groups that they have pages on and information was being shared in a way that uh, many people including the uh, Federal Trade Commission, who had a, had a complaint pending before it, thought was inappropriate. People that were part of a support group all of a sudden were um, being uh, solicited by different third-party vendors uh, related to whatever illness they had. And, oh. um, you know, people uh, threw a, a flag on the field for that one. And, yep. you know, and, and, and rightly, rightly so. so. Yep. Rightly so. Right? Yes, I, I, I agree 100% on that. So um, I see that what we started with with social media and it wasn't it a nice way to to communicate with some patients and and I think it it still is um, but it really has as you mentioned permeated every every aspect so we have issues certainly with patient uh, privacy but we also have all kinds of HR issues mm -hmm. from hiring people um, how do you use social media to vet people, uh, candidates that you may want to hire? And then once those people have been hired, um, monitoring what they're, what they're doing with social media has become issues, uh, comments that employees post that are not favorable to their employers have created lots of issues. 
comments that they post about healthcare that they've provided to people have created all kinds of, of, of issues. And now we're even seeing it at the board level. There have been some recent uh, cases uh, along on that line too, where a board member uh, has stepped out of line and um, posted something on Facebook and Twitter that was uh, not so complimentary. And oh, so we're really seeing how social media can impact all different aspects of, of a healthcare system or, uh, or a practice from patients to employees to, to third parties out there. Wow. So that's, that's a lot. That's a broad brush. And um, I'm trying to think of, maybe can we start with um, what do people need to know about social media and their, their, prop, their properties, their sites? So like their, their practice posts, let's start there and then move into HR. Um, you know, the content, the images, because I think most of the folks out there, they're managing their existing, so they're managing their Twitter, their Instagram, their Snapchat, um, their Facebook. What do they need to think about and what, what can they learn from maybe some poor choices made by other practices? Some real train you know? wrecks off to the yeah, side that you can take sense. a look at and, um, the do's and, and don'ts, uh, you know, kind of thing. And, and avoid doing the same. That's uh-huh. right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's much of our life, isn't it? Watching yeah. other people's disasters so that we could avoid them ourselves. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, here, I, I've got a couple kind of high level thoughts on this. One is there is this misconception out there, Tothi, that somehow if we post information as long as it doesn't contain a patient's name or a photograph of the face of the patient, everything's fair game. And that could not be further from the truth. Oh. So we, we've got to be, be very careful. And I think people believe that they're, they're trying to be careful. They don't mention the patient's name. They're not showing a photograph of the patient. But the standard is not if everyone can identify a patient by what you say, but if anyone could. So if someone out there can piece the information together, and we've seen this time and again, one case that is kind of the classic on this that dates back, oh, better part of a decade ago, um, an emergency room uh, physician made comments about treating a patient, didn't give the patient's name, didn't, uh, didn't show a photograph of the patient, but there was enough information in there that people were able to piece together who it was was. that that emergency room physician was um, was talking about Uh and that ultimately went to a board of medicine Rhode Island board of medicine and that physician was uh, was sanctioned because of because of the action and I don't think that in the physician's mind that uh, that there was anything intentional about this and that goes to just needing to be extra careful when we're when we're posting anything at all about uh, specific patient care so that's that's the that's one thing that. Um, so basically, that so mind. the do so the don't is so the don't is you can't just post something uh, like a description of a, a patient encounter or something that happened that might be interesting. Remove the patient name and don't put a photograph. But if they can figure out it's them and other people can, you could still get busted. Yeah, let's let's put a few facts on this. I'll give you a case that came from uh, from Michigan, Dearborn, Michigan, and this involved a a nurse instead of a, a physician. But there was a shootout with a criminal and a, a police officer, and or maybe many police officers. But the police officer was shot as well as the, um, the the criminal, and they're both taken by ambulance to the same, the closest hospital for for treatment for these gunshot injuries. And one of the nurses uh, treated the, the patient that was the um, alleged criminal. At the end of her shift, she went on uh, Facebook and made a comment, something along the lines of, had to treat a cop killer, because unfortunately the officer died. Oh. <clears throat> had, to, had to treat a cop killer today. Hope he rots in hell or some, something to that general effect. Okay. And that was enough because of press coverage yeah, people could you, figure sure out what was going name. on right yeah just never made, name this this uh person um or anything else but it, it's not real hard to connect those dots and right. so uh she was she was fired as uh, for a patient uh, privacy uh, violation yeah that just that does not seem like good professional conduct you know let, let's i want to talk about that for a second because you mentioned it a little earlier the boards of medicine but i mean there is this there's an issue that physicians must deal with on social media that retail brands and other, you know, an accountant or whatever doesn't have to. And that's this 
ethical duties, right? And the boards of medicine and, you know, the scope of practice. I don't mm. know. How, how, how would you call that? We're, you know, we're sort of bound by some of those sure. ethical issues. Tell me about that. Right. So, so they're, they're definitely ethical concerns, not only on, on patient privacy. So physician patient privacy has always been, been around well before social media. Um, but there are also other kinds of of requirements. Um, I'm thinking of advertising, marketing, which a lot of times social media starts to blend into. And uh, those, those requirements also, uh, also apply. So yes, when you, when you receive a license from a state, that comes with certain kinds of ethical obligations and physicians are held to those. The Federation of State Medical Boards has been really helpful in laying out uh, social media guidelines that have been adopted by many states, and they have specific examples of where they think people can cross the line, even at, unintentionally, which is, uh, it's a free document. People can go on and, and, um, and look up the social media, and we can put in the yeah, show we notes. Yeah, should put that in the show notes. I'm going to make a uh, note. So yeah, that, what is a, that, the social one. media guidelines from the state boards? Uh, from the Federation of State Medical Boards. So all the state medical boards get together, and they create uh, template kind of policies that the states can use themselves. Um, and that's the Federation of State Medical Boards, and they have a, a really a good, you know, and for my money, that's the people that you want to uh, pay attention to. Nothing against the American Medical Association, nice folks, whatever, but the people that control the licenses about whether or not you can practice medicine, I think that's the one we should pay attention to. That is a great tip. And, you know, we'll put this in the show notes, we'll put a link, but can you share a couple of the things that are in the social media guidelines um, that they've come up with? Like what, give us some examples of what. Sure. So the, the first one, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I, one that comes to mind is when, when a patient wants to engage through a Facebook, right? Friend requests. There's, this is a, does that create um, an inappropriate relationship with a, in, in certain expectations that are inappropriate? And I think that the, if you look at the guidelines, they will advocate for having a, a Facebook page that somebody can like, which is separate from creating um, friends and interpersonal relationships through, uh, through Facebook. As in, in an effort to keep things professional between the, the physician and, and his or her patient. So you that, should have a practice page. Let's practice be, page, people practice. can like, you can post things about what's going on with the practice or, you know, even, even some personal things are, are okay, fair game to put on a practice uh, page to say uh, what's going on. Um, but that bit about a um, patients liking or, or friending physicians and so forth um, can be problematic. And that, that's one thing that was um, uh, brought out in those, those guidelines. Okay. Same so the professional, so the, too, by the way, but yes, I think that that is an issue. Okay. And so their, their, their page, that's just them, the doctor, they shouldn't be friending patients using that account. They can friend patients. Well, you don't, no, friend it's, patients, it's, but it's you have like the, the professional yeah, page. It's the, it's the like, it's the professional practice page that people can like and follow along with what's going on with the, the physicians or the, or the practice. Um, but it's not a one-on-one -on -one relationship between the physician personally and, um, in the patient. And so let, so to be clear, that's not just for Facebook, that would be for Twitter, Instagram. I mean, so they need to be careful with that as well. They should have a practice account, if you will. I think that that's the, the, the best and most professional is to separate your personal and your professional. And, and certainly you can invite patients to um, connect with you on a professional level. Um, but when it's on the, the personal level, uh, it, I think it's, it's less less professional and, and should not be done. Well, and I think this is important to raise because, you know, especially for uh, physicians newer in practice who've really grown up with social media, you know, being aware of these kinds of boundaries, I can imagine, especially a solo physician just starting out may not think about this and may just think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put my doctor name, my MD, my credentials, but it's really just a personal account. Um, so it's important to make that distinction, right? right. Good guidance and for boundaries. Right. And, you know, there are even, and this starts to get us maybe more towards the, the HR issue, but there are certainly all kinds of instances where you have physicians coming out of residency 
and they're applying for jobs. And I'm thinking of one uh, of a headhunter who was quite excited, thinking that he was going to get a big, a big placement fee by getting this uh, newly minted uh, psychiatrist a position at a hospital. And then people went on and the um, psychiatrist apparently had some kind of uh, penchant for uh, taking off her shirt and having photographs taken and putting up on, on different social media accounts. And as the, as the headhunter realized, it wasn't just once, but it was kind of habitual for whatever reason, you know, let that be theater of the mind. But it um, definitely interfered with this physician's ability to get a, um, to get a job. And there's a instance where some non, some unprofessional behavior uh, really came back and caused problems. Oh, that's too bad. Didn't get well, the job. Did not get the job. Well, did not get the job. Well, so let's. Um, this is actually a great segue into this next question because we've talked about good guidance uh, for physician boundaries and well, a little bad decorum perhaps with this particular physician. But what happens when the physician's done everything correctly? all the plans have been laid properly, they've consulted with you, but you know, practices can't stop the bad decorum on the part of patients. So when, um, what happens when practices uh, have patients that are posting bad stuff, weird stuff on the practice's Facebook page, or they tweet something negative? Um, we're not mm. talking about reviews now, but you know, on their social media properties, because I, I had a particular aesthetic surgeon who, um, when I looked through this surgeon's Facebook feed, I was somewhat uh, taken aback by a few of the uh, patients who had what they had posted on this physician's wall because you know it's kind of like what is that you 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 are the company you keep or yeah yeah I don't I don't want to say you lie down judge by the don't company you get up you with keep. please yeah. but <laughs> not that bad but yeah what do you do so what do you do in this case doesn't make the physician look good maybe I don't know no no um, and I think that. You have to you have to have a strategy on this because and there are different strategies and everybody has to find one that they like but but consistency is the, is the best approach so look if it's your page I think that you have the ability to remove uh, comments right now whether or not that's a good idea is a separate a separate uh, discussion and I think that being open, and there's certainly some great research out there, it came from Cornell, showing that uh, some negative reviews or some negative comments uh, give real credibility to all the positive ones, because otherwise, if everything's just, you know, 100% glowing, people uh, discount that in their mind and think that somehow this is all gamed, especially if you're running it yourself on your own, your own page. Mm -hmm. So if there's an, a, a bad one throwing in every once in a while, uh, it may actually be to your, to your favor quite honestly. Um, now, of course, that depends on what it says, right? If it's just completely outrageous and inflammatory, and certainly I think if it um, attacks other patients or, or people outside of the, of the practice, you have a duty there to, um, you know, if, they're, if they're commenting upon a fellow patient, right, how they were behaving or something down the hall and mm -hmm. all that, you, you, don't, you don't want that on, on your page. But um, if it's a fair criticism of, 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 your, of your practice, learn from it, and you may uh, consider leaving that, um, leaving that up. Well, and so those are more like reviews, and I get that. But in the case that I was mentioning, it was the, the patient was posting photographs that were quite risque, and um, they were, you know, linking to things that were just sort of in bad taste. Um, hmm. What do you do in that case? Um, any so, thoughts on that? So most websites have a terms of use, and a lot of those kind of things that you're describing would violate certain websites' terms of use. And and I know that we're not talking about somebody operating their own website, but maybe we are. But I think that same approach of I'm only going to tolerate things that are of reasonable taste, but we're not having links to inappropriate things and, and unprofessional things and, and inappropriate uh, photographs. I think that that's out of bounds and okay. to the extent that you can control that, you should. And to the extent that you can't, I would, um, I would ban that person from interacting with my social media. Okay. Well, and um, we're going to talk about policies in a few minutes, but it sounds to me like also these guidelines, you know, what you're saying is let's put it also into um, 
it's a strategic way of thinking, but let's put right. it in a policy about what are things that are just out of bounds for us. And so that, you know, the pa- then the patient doesn't call or come in and be irate. Well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get you uh, visibility amongst my people too. And, and all that. And you took down my posts. No, you know, because they may, in their mind, it may not violate any kind of boundary, but for the practice, if they've got a policy and it's guided may, by those you, ethics. That's right. You may yeah. just have a, a large number of um, uh, disinhibited patients in your practice. Right. I don't know. but that, um, That's a perfect think, descriptor for this particular I, situation. I think that, <laughs> I, I think that um, and you, know, you may want to reflect as to why you cater to these people or why they're attracted to you. Again, another discussion. Yeah. But look, we don't want to be accused of treating people differently right? That yeah. some, and so we need to have, I think, a set and say, look, we're sorry, these are, our, these are our rules and we apply them to you as we apply them to anyone else that interacts with our social media. And to the extent that you, you know, fit within these rules, that's fine. But if you're outside of it, we're sorry. Um, we, we can't tolerate that. Okay. Good. Well, Mike, this is terrific stuff. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna, we'll hear from Mike about how to stay at, more on how to stay out of digital trouble. And we're going to address some of the HR issues. Be right back. The new book, Tweets, Likes, and Liabilities, Online and Electronic Risk, to the healthcare professional is an essential guide for physician leaders and healthcare organizations that are looking to identify and mitigate areas of digital risk. Sound Practice podcast host Mike Sakopoulos and co-author Susan Gay address the tricky issues related to EHRs, mobile devices, email, websites, and social media. This essential book will give you peace of mind by flagging areas of risk and then provide guidance and templates to address that risk. Each chapter is packed with practical tips and also included are bonus templates that will save you time and effort. Templates for your mobile device policy, social media policy, business associate agreement, photo and video release, plus others. Tweets, likes, and liabilities, online and electronic risk to the healthcare professional by Michael Sakopoulos and Susan Gay, published by Green Branch Publishing. Order your copy today in print or convenient ebook at greenbranch.com. talking with Mike Sakopoulos, my esteemed colleague and co-host uh, of this podcast about social media problems and how practice leaders can reduce the risk. And uh, we've talked a bit about ethics, you know, the ethics issues. We've talked about various posts and things like that and um, how the best laid plans of practices can't always stop the bad decorum of, or what did you call it? The disinhibited <laughs> nature of patients. I love that word. Love it. Love it. Mm. Um, so, Let's talk about, um, oh, you know, before we get to HR, I did have one other question about like posting stuff. Can, are there any issues for practices that want to run a a contest or a promotion on social media? Is that, does that borderline on, border on advertising issues and any kind of ethics or can they do that? Can they, you know, what what would be the do's and don'ts around that? Yeah, this gets into, um, into areas of, of compensating people, um, for endorsements, um, and that's where, where I oftentimes uh, see see the problems. If you just want to have a contest and say uh, we're just randomly going to pick uh, a patient of the month to give something to or or whatnot, that that I think you're you're all right doing. But if you want the people entering the contest to do something for you, um, come in for something some somehow. If you, um, you, you can imagine if, if you refer three people to us, you get a whatever, right? Um, there are rules from the Federal Trade Commission that talk about compensated endorsers. And sometimes you get people that will, practices will say, we'll give a free Botox if you go on and tell everybody how great our service was, right? Yeah. Then you have to disclose that the treatment was free and that there was some form of, of compensation. I know that this doesn't always happen, but that is the rule from the uh, Federal Trade Commission. And it reminds me of um, when, you know, when I was growing up, 
you'd see Ed McMahon and the prize patrol arrive with a bunch of balloons and like the eight foot long check. You remember that? Some enormous (laughs) amount of money. And people were always, always at home and always surprised, you know, quite willing to open up the door. I don't know what neighborhoods these people were selected from, but nonetheless, they were always thrilled to see Ed McMahon and the prize patrol. And at the bottom of the screen, it always said, something about Mr. McMahon's compensated endorser, right? So this rule goes way back. If you're, if you're paying someone uh, to, to promote you in some way, and it's anything beyond kind of a de minimis amount, just some small little amount, it has to be disclosed. So they have to disclose that in the post itself? In the post, which really kind of does away with the whole benefit of the thing, if you ask me. So um, maybe there's some uh, good marketer people out there that can think of good ways to do this. And, um, you know, disclosures in marketing are, are done all the time. All you have to do is turn on the evening news and see all those pharmaceutical ones, which are the majority of which are, are disclosures and apparently doesn't slow them down any. No. So I guess it can be, it can be done. And I, I, freely admit that I am a horrific marketer. So I don't know how to go about it, but I can tell you that that information legally must be disclosed. Okay. All right. Well, good. Let's turn over to um, hiring now because I know a lot of people are using social media or want to use social media or maybe are fearful of using social media in their hiring process. So what are the legal issues that they need to be aware of and how can they do this safely? And what are we really talking about? So, you know, if people are saying, what do you mean use it in the hiring process? Tell us a little bit about this. So, so what you get is a lot of people, um, and I mean a lot of people want to take candidates if they have a a job opening and they get applications in and they think, okay, uh, these three or four applicants look pretty good. I'm going to go on Facebook and check them out, see what they have posted. Uh, so if it shows them having one raging Friday night drinking bender after another, that maybe that's not the person for us, you know, that, that kind of an idea, right? And many people have an open Facebook page, which means if you're not a friend, you can still still view it. So there's information out there. And then uh, the HR folks mind, hey, it's publicly available. I'm not, I'm not trying to trick someone into becoming friends with me so I can get the inside look, right? It's just freely available to anybody. I can go log on Facebook and, and check this out. And that's true, you can, but there's some risk there. And there have been some suits that say that people were discriminated uh, against based upon a review of their, their Facebook page, uh, saying that you found out information that you never could have asked me directly, what's your religion, do you have young kids, you know, blah, blah, these kind of things um, that would be be out of out of bounds um, in a job the interview, interview. Yeah. right? Yeah, out of bounds. Uh, but there it is uh, front and center on a, on a Facebook uh, page. And so <clears throat> there have been some cases that people sued saying you went on, looked at it, and uh, you found out this information you're really not entitled to, and you discriminated against me. And I know people are out there saying, oh, wait a minute, it was publicly available and um, it, it, that didn't stop the lawsuits and most are not successful, but you don't want to put yourself in that, that position. So what a number of, of larger firms have started and I think works out well from a good legal defense point of view is that they have two people involved and one is going through the applications, picking the kind of the finalists and will be conducting the actual in-person interviews, but they have another unrelated person that will go on and check Facebook. And if there's something that is, doesn't fall into a protected area, but is something that would, you would not want to hire the person because they can say, you know, they're, it shows them, um, drinking like a like a fish um every weekend and this is not the image that 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 we want uh that's different than saying it shows that they attend x church or go to this temple or whatnot um and we don't want that person so these are people who you can hire to do this like a like a you you might hire a recruiter i'm sure i'm sure that you could um but even if you just bifurcate it within your own office you can still have two separate people doing it so I any see. kind of you're, you're not contaminated with information that that could be harmful and isn't appropriate for the interviewing that that's kind of the filter is to have a second person look at it and and filter out what what is and what is not appropriate and they don't have final say on the, the hiring they can just throw a flag if something is is really 
inappropriate about the person. And so to um, be, and I guess, particularly careful, um, would you, with your lawyer hat on, say there should be some guidelines in writing sort of as a policy, uh, a part of their hiring policy? Yeah, I think, I think that's kind of, you, people need a little bit of training on, on normal HR kinds of things. And okay. if you had two, two HR people, they, they would, they would be able to, to handle this. And this is kind of an extreme example. There, there are folks out there that were for a while uh, trying to force candidates to give up their passwords so they could go on and peruse their, their social media um, accounts. And we've now seen a number of laws come into effect just saying, wait, that, that's completely inappropriate. Yeah, and that's way no, out of bounds. there's no giving up. You cannot require someone to provide you access to their social media. And I assume that our audience is fairly savvy and wouldn't, wouldn't have headed down that path, but I bring it up, right? No, you can't force someone to give over a password. And then the next step is you just have to be careful at what you see because you don't want somebody to swing back around and say, um, you didn't hire me because I had uh, photographs of my uh, young disabled child on the mm -hmm. site. And you thought I wouldn't be a reliable employee because of that. Blah, blah. Right. Got it. Okay, so good. That's good stuff. What what happens though after they hire somebody? So we've got the rules kind of about the hiring process. Or are there any more that we you need? Know, to well, no, no. I think that's good. Let's move on to when they when you yeah, now so have now we've got now have employees. People. Yeah, we've got um, employees. What's yeah, the got, obligation or policy of how they should be interacting with their own social media sites and the practices and you know specifically? Uh, okay, what every, everyone needs to do themselves a favor right now and make sure that you have a social media policy that, that covers what's appropriate for, for employees to, to do with social media and what is not. And we have to be careful. We can't be overly uh, restrictive. They're um, the equal opportunity uh, employment folks. The EEOC uh, has rules on this that you can't ban um, uh, people from making any comment about their place of work and all of this. But there are certain things that, that are clearly not something that you want a health worker on your staff talking about. And Tothi, if we had three more podcasts, we could fill them with stories of people going on um, in, in posting inappropriate things about patients, like HIV status, all kinds of things. I mean, you got people on staff Who out there that? that have relations uh, with people. I'm, I hear, Here in Indiana, we had a pharmacist um, who a patient came in to uh, fill a prescription and it turned out the patient was the ex-lover of the, the, of the uh, pharmacist, pharmacist. <laughs> partner. And um, it was for, again, we'll use theater of the mind, a rather embarrassing medical condition. And, you know, no, no sooner was the prescription filled. And I just kind of envisioned this poor uh, woman walking out in the doors of CVS or shutting about the time the pharmacist is picking up the phone to call home and say, you won't believe what your ex has. Oh, right. Yeah. And then that was used. It, it's just, it's just so awful. You can hardly yeah. believe it. That information was used in um, a child custody, like is in, if I don't get child custody or if you go forward trying to get more money from me for our child, I'm going to tell everybody about your condition. That's horrible. Oh, Always yeah. Fair horrible. love and war, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big, big, uh, big, big money came out of that, uh, that lawsuit, as you wow. might imagine. But yeah. that's not the only one. And there, there's all kinds of, uh, of situations. But here's why you want to have a social media policy. And I'm thinking specifically of some friends over in Cincinnati who had a good social media uh, policy. And this is a hospital in Cincinnati. A patient goes in, a young, a young woman, and is uh, diagnosed um, with, with syphilis. And someone on the staff knew this, knew this woman and took that, a, a printout of her, of her medical uh, diagnosis and posted it on, on Facebook under the, uh, created a page called Team No Hose and put this information. I mean, how, you know, what is wrong with people? But nonetheless, this, this happened. And of course, the patient finds out, is embarrassed, and uh, the plaintiff lawyers uh, circle. And before long, she has an attorney. They're suing not only the, uh, the people that, the person that created the website and posted it, who was some low level. Uh, person at the at the hospital who was immediately fired once this was found out, but suing the hospital itself, saying that um, that this was you know their their agent, their employee that did this, and thankfully a court in Ohio said, hey look, 
they have a social media policy. This type of uh, behavior is explicitly laid out as being inappropriate and mm -hmm. outside the scope of work. And the employer cannot be responsible. It is given guidance. It is said what people are allowed to do on social media, what they're not allowed to do vis-a-vis work. That. And this yeah. was way outside the bounds. You can go after the actual individual but you can't go after the hospital itself because they'd done the right thing by having a policy and training people. And so I wave that as an example out there of uh, something good that can happen to you if you have a social media policy, because there are, let's face it, lots of crazy people out there that do just horrific things on social media and you don't want to be tagged because of uh, some, some employee of yours doing that. Yeah. Well, I go back to uh, my, my initial opening comments about, you know, the way social media has been used in this version one of it's not just, you know, bad actors like violence and all that stuff or, you know, Russian meddling of uh, and fake news and things, mm. but it could be just people using this platform to vent in ways that they couldn't before. I mean, maybe they they had some vendetta against that other employee or, you know, you mentioned sure. the pharmacist and the ex lover. So, you know, it's just, it's anybody's guess what people are going to do and find okay to do. And so protect yourself with these policies. I mean, the social media policy you've mentioned, we've also talked about, I want to just kind of distill this because there's a couple policies here that people would be really smart to make sure they have and have reviewed and up to date. There's also the content policy, like what's appropriate for all of our social media sites? What are we able to take down and why? And, you know, just so right. there's no cry of fairness or, you know, you singled me out, I'm a patient and you took out my stuff. So there's that. And then we've got the social media guidelines, which not a policy, but those from the uh -huh. federal um, mm -hmm. state board. So, you know, we, people, listeners throw, need to have these things in writing. Yeah. Let me throw one more in that gets a lot of, <clears throat> it wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily think of it. It's, it's not directly on uh, social media, but it causes lots of problems. And that is um, mobile devices. Tothi, I can't tell you how many times uh, there are cases out there, but privacy violations that originate from mobile devices in clinical areas. Um, and so I'm a big proponent of saying no photographing, no use of uh, smartphones by, by patient or staff, unless it is for a specific medical purpose. You get people that um, go back into clinical settings and are taking photographs you don't know where these things end up, who's in the background. It's awful. And sometimes, quite honestly, it's uh, the surgeons them, themselves, um, which is... Yeah, I've heard horror really stories sad. about that. Yeah, really <laughs> sad. Um, yeah, you, do you need a horror story on that? No, I think we've all heard about the dancing okay. doctor with the, you know, I mean, there's just all kinds of bizarre things there. Right. I mean, these things come to mind. I don't even have to lay them out. Mm -hmm. If that is proof enough that you should have some kind of um, uh, policy out there that people do not whip out their, their cell phones and start taking uh, photographs in clinical uh, settings, uh, unless you're documenting a medical condition. And if you're doing that, you really need to have an appropriate device to do it on. Don't do it on the same uh, cell yeah, your phone personal that, mobile that you device. Your, that's, yeah, that your that's kid's wrong. fourth birthday picture's on, right? Yeah. You don't want somebody's atopic dermatitis next to your fourth, your kid's fourth birthday party. But the truth, I know, but the truth is, Mike, I mean, you and I are both in practices all the time, and we see that this is going on. Um, and people just, I think because it's so permeated into our culture and our daily lives, and, you know, we take pictures of everything, and then they just sit in there. They're just in the device. Mm. And the chance that something's going to get hacked or stolen or, you know, because most people don't have, um, they sure. might have a password, but they're, they're not encrypting their phones. So they've got this material on there. What do you, what do you advise about that? I mean, well, that's going to well, be difficult. So, so I, I'm, I, I think that it's inappropriate to be on your personal device for a couple of reasons. One, you just mentioned, right? It's at risk of, of going AWOL. It's going to get, it could get stolen. It could get lost. It could get accidentally deleted. And remember, if you're taking this for a medical reason, then that information should be in the patient's chart. It's important mm -hmm. enough to document, then it should be in the chart and not riding around uh, in, a, in a purse or on your hip. Um, so it needs to get make its way into the chart and not be kept on, on personal devices. And I know that this is a bit inconvenient and people um, would like to just carry one device and maybe they're going to take their photograph of the uh, 
the patient census so they know where to round in the hospital, who, which patients are theirs in the hospital or something like that. We certainly have those. And then accidentally that photograph uh, gets texted out. We've had that with uh, psychiatric hospitals and, you know, you think you're sending it a uh, picture of a family member and two pictures go. One of it's the list of your, your psych patients. That yeah. gets you know, these kind of yeah, things. We because we take pictures of that stuff all the time now. I mean, right. it's like, and we not, share them all the time. Yeah. Right? And, and it's, so, well, it's easy to remember too. You know, I often, of I don't like forms. I just take a picture of it. I mean, that makes it right. a lot easier. Like you're saying the psychiatric patient list or the appointment schedule for the day or something like that. It's much easier to write that than have and, a form. And, and so perhaps I am, um, you know, tilting at windmills here, Tothi, I don't know, but, but I would really like to see people separate that out and have a personal device. And if they're going to have a device for that type of information, have, have a separate uh, device and then upload patient information uh, to the Into chart the as, as yeah. quickly as, as possible. Um, so more because that's really where it belongs. Yeah. And the last thing you want is to be involved in any kind of litigation and the opposing attorney find out that you have information on your phone too, right? Because then that allows for a full oh, that's a field day. What man. else is on that phone yeah. that's not in the chart, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. you've got all kinds of things that you're laid bare with. Um, so there's just one, one more unpleasant thought. Oh, all right. Well, let's, um, let's close off on this issue of... Um the board member, you, you mentioned, so we've talked about HR, we've talked about the posts and policies and things. You mentioned to me earlier um, that this kind of spills over into board member behavior too. So what do, what do folks need to think about with regard to physician board members? Well, so Tothi, uh, when it comes to board members, I have to admit, I was caught a little flat-footed on this one. I hadn't um, thought about it in a medical uh, setting. But then within the last 30 days, I read this uh, report coming to us from a New York hospital that was having financial problems. And one of its board members um, launched into a, a tweet and also posted on, on Facebook. Uh, and I'll, I will just simply read you uh, what, it, what it says. Okay. Uh, it says, Newsflash, insert name of the hospital, is losing $1 million a month with an average daily census of 11 patients on top of losing 450 to 500 patients during the past few years. Any guesses why? Many of them left because of poor service and the attitude of our employees. Now, that's the guy that's a member of the board of this Whoa. hospital, right? You can imagine the fellow board members in the administration being less than pleased. So <clears throat> now, can board members speak out? Sure, but it seems to me that we need to have um, at least some some expectations and understand uh, what harm that that can um, can create. So if we're so, so that means if you're a hospital, large organization, or even a physician organization, perhaps as part of the board member guidelines, um, governance policies, and such, that's where we might want to have a little statement. Or where would this? I, or in the I, social think, media I think I think so. I think that, um, and I'm I go beyond just. Um, medical boards, I think probably any boards, but but certainly for our audience, uh, some some expectations. I don't think that legally you can require people to to stay silent, but um, maybe a reminder and uh, some uh, laying out of some expectations when it comes to being a board member, uh, because tweets and posts like that can be really harmful to the uh, the institution that you're a board member of, and maybe there is a a better way uh, to work on your, your areas of frustration and, and financial problems of the institution than yeah. lambasting just, people. Publicly. It's just amazing that a board member, somebody at that level would, would think that that was okay. Yeah. <laughs> I still, I still have a hard time, you know, these are, I just have those sort of uh, good Midwest roots, you know, kind of let's be all nice to each other and, and that sort of a, there's a right and a wrong kind of thing. And sometimes the things people post out there on social media, just I'm floored by them. I can't even imagine it. You know, I, I, I agree, but knowing that this, this happens, skills. And, right. Knowing that it happens and with some, unfortunately, some, some regularity, um, we, we need to be, we need to be, uh, careful, um, uh, careful of it. There's one thing that I should have mentioned earlier and I, I regret not, not saying I'm, I'm, I want to get it out. Okay. Because there's another misconception, right? We talked about the misconception of no name, no photograph, anything goes. All right, that's clearly not true. The other misconception is 
if the patient, it's like my kids, he started it first. Um, oh. if, the, if the patient launches into something about their care, right, there is this temptation of a number of providers, and I think it's natural, to want to respond and defend themselves and say, that's not true, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in the case of one uh, aesthetic surgeon, they posted photographs to say, you got a lot better results than you're telling people. Everybody can judge for themselves. Here's before and after. Right? Totally inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Word sanction. It's the patient's information. They can do whatever they want with it, but that doesn't mean that the provider can do anything at all without, without patient. Without permission. Yep. Yep. It's an unlevel playing field. It may be um, unfair, but that's the way it is. Well, Mike, this has been fun. I love consulting with you. Yeah, on these topics because you, I love talking social media with you and and all of these great topics because you educate more than you pontificate. (laughs) And that's rare for a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, you caught me on a good day, I guess. Um, I I appreciate that. That's very, that's very kind of you. Um, And you know what, Tothi, I think that um, that kind of brings us to the end of, of this, doesn't it? Yes. Well, um, you know, I think that that's what uh, good social or good good uh, lawyering really is. I just want to say, I mean, your company, Thanks. Medical Risk Institute, likes to educate physicians and health leaders, you know, make them aware of the risk, teach them how to identify, and then give them practical steps so they can mitigate the risk and hopefully stay out of trouble. And that's good karma, Mike. Um, so well, we'll put, yeah, we'll put the um, social media policy template um, well, you mentioned social media. You have a template. I guess we. I was going to ask it's you if you that one. You right. talked about it. Yep. Yes. And, it, and it's, well, it's 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 available in the um, in the in book the as book. well, right? Well, yeah. and we're going to put the well, the link to the book in the show notes because honestly, listeners should really purchase this this book, tweets, likes, and liabilities. Um, not only for the excellent guidance, but honestly, the appendix of templates how many you've provided people is going to save hours of time on the, on behalf of managers and, you know, probably some legal time as well. So invest $50 in the book and save a lot more, you know, I hope so. I I mean, that, that's certainly the idea to have a number of whether it's a mobile device policy, a social media policy, uh, photograph releases, all of those kind of things that, that in my mind fit in this category are all there for people to, um, to, to adopt or uh, change in any way they, they like. But um, hopefully it puts people on the right path. I think it will. And that's a wrap for this episode of Sound Practice. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you liked our show, please tell your colleagues. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on-demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com. With the lens on Zoom, what will Rizzuto had his holy cow? That man Robin went from Kapow.